Take your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 13 this morning as we turn in God's Word together. Matthew chapter 13. The title of our message this morning is The Parables and the Kingdom of Heaven. The Parables and the Kingdom of Heaven. Matthew chapter 13 verse 1. We have a lengthy portion before us. We're going to read down through verse 17. So join me in God's Word there in Matthew chapter 13. And on the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. And the great multitudes were gathered together to him, so that he got into a boat and sat. And the whole multitude stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside. And the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 10. And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered and said to them, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. For whoever has, to him more will be given, and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For assuredly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men Desire to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers, the flower thereof falls away, but the word of our God abides forever. Amen and amen. So we look here in Matthew chapter 13. We're looking at a, a transition text, as the last couple have been. We're looking at a judgment text. But we're also looking at a text which shows us the importance of God's word. Notice the, the last verse that we read there, that there have been men, prophets of old, who desire to see. Now Jesus is speaking to his disciples what they've seen. Think about us today in this age of grace, this age of the church, and think about what, what we have seen. We have the full canon of scripture. We have the full revealed truth of God's word and men have longed to understand the mysteries of God. 
that were typed and shadowed in the Old Testament and in the New Testament revealed, explained, fully and freely given. Jesus is telling his disciples, many have longed to have the, the privilege that you have. And friends, as we begin the message this morning, I want to remind all of us the privilege that we have in God's full revealed word before us this morning. It is important how we hear the word of God. That's what Jesus is saying here in this text. It, it is important when we hear the word of God that we respond with a heart that desires to obey that we hear the word of God with a heart that desires to believe, placing our faith in the preaching, the teaching that is consistent with God's word, reading God's word, believing the message of the gospel, believing the message of Christ. Friend, do you believe the message of Christ? Do you love and treasure God's word? Do you treasure it because it reveals to you your sin and your need for grace? Because it shows you the glories of the Son of God? I hope so. This is why Jesus says again and again, Let him who has ears to hear, let him, let them, let them hear. Now here in Matthew chapter 13, we see a change in the preaching ministry of Jesus. Up until this point, his preaching has been plain, his preaching has been clear and direct. In fact, if you remember in Matthew chapter 7, Matthew chapter 8, his teaching is stunning because it is so clear, because it is so direct, and because it is so authoritative because he is God. They've never heard preaching like the preaching that Jesus gives. But all of that changes as we move into Matthew chapter 13. Here we see and note three different things and how he is going to teach differently. Notice how in this text we see three different hints of the change that is taking place. The first one is in reference to the first parable in this chapter. Notice with me verse 3. Then he spoke to them many things. He spoke many things to them in parables. So this is a transition text. He's not been speaking to them in parables all along. Matthew highlights for us that this is a, a right corner change, going in a different direction. This is a pattern that is different than Jesus' teaching up until this point. Notice the second thing that this text kind of gives hint to, verse 10. The disciples came to him and they said to him, Why are you speaking to them or why do you speak to them in parables? They're confused by this. This is not the normal pattern or habit of Jesus. Jesus teaches with pictorial language. He gives metaphors and explanations. Uh, we see that all throughout the Sermon on the Mount. We see uh, parables in miniature form as illustrations or as examples, if you will, but not the whole discourse or the whole message or the whole sermon in a parable. So verse 10, the disciples come to him and say, why are you speaking to them in parables? If Jesus had been teaching this way all along, they would not have asked this question. Now, third thing we see in this text, verse 34, all these things Jesus spoke to the multitude in parables, and without a parable, he did not speak to them. So clearly, there is a change happening here in our text as we study through Matthew's gospel. Jesus has spoken plainly, simply, and directly, but he is no longer speaking to the crowds the religious leaders, those who are repeatedly following him, he is no longer speaking directly to them in this same 
way. So that leads us to ask a question. What is the reason for this change? We find our answer there in verses 11 through 17 that we just read. Jesus is announcing. Jesus is notifying that judgment has come. Judgment has come because the judgment is in response to hearts of unbelief. That's what we've been studying, isn't it? They are hearing the message of Jesus and they're ascribing blasphemously his message and his works to Satan. Matthew chapter 12, if you chronicle it, we will not do that, but we've been studying Matthew chapter 12, and all we see at the conclusion of Jesus' teaching is hardness of heart, unbelief, persistent, stubborn unbelief. And friends, this morning it reminds us that we are on serious ground, even us here today, if we think that we can come before the Lord week after week, whenever we want, and that our spiritual opportunities will always be there. That our spiritual opportunities will always be the same. We hear the word of Christ. We hear the preaching of the word of God. We read it in our God night times. And God speaks to us. And we have a que attitude. We quickly move on to other things. The cares of this life take over. You name it. Distractions. Or we're just plain indifferent. Or maybe... We respond to God's word with this. I'm not ready for that yet. I'm going to think about that later. I'm going to study that at another time. I'm just not ready for it today. All of that type of response to God's word, that thinking, says this. I'm certain that I have tomorrow. I'm certain that I can do it next time. I'm certain that there is a next time. I'm certain that there will be another spiritual opportunity. And to think that way is deathly. To think that way is dangerous. To, to respond to the message of the Word of God with, I hear you, but I'm just not ready to do something about that, is to be on very, very dangerous ground. And to continue to respond to God's Word in that way leads to judicial hardening. It leads to a hardness of heart that presumes you are in control of your own quickening of conscience. When all you're in control of is hardening your conscience. Now, I know this is hard for some people. Some people can go their whole life in the life of the church and never hear someone say what I just said right there. There is a presumption that people have today, particularly in this gospel-saturated region, that, that, that when we come before the Word of God, it's just what we do. But we ignore the fact of our individual consciences and hearts that are quickened and being examined by the piercing of the Word of God that we must do something with. And there is only response, if you're listening to me this morning, and it's this, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Whatever the message is, whatever the Holy Spirit speaks to you about in the quickening of your conscience and your soul, friend, only respond with yes, Lord. And at times that means I need to repent of sin, at times, that means I need to follow through in faith with very clearly the Lord is leading me in a particular area in my life, and I'm struggling with it, and the message is on target. And by the way, there's my message, and there's His message. Now, I want my message to be His message in that I preach the Word of God every time I stand here. But it's always interesting when I have conversations with some of you after the preaching is, what you got is not what I said. But it's not crazy 
the Lord is working in your heart. Does that make sense? The Lord takes the Word of God and He is applying it to you. And I listen to you, and I don't always tell you this, but I just say, well, good. Praise the Lord. And in my mind, I'm thinking, that's not what I was trying to do. But praise the Lord for that. Amen. Now, it is funny. I'm not trying to be funny, but it's true. There's my message, and then there's his message, and we always want those two things to be the same. And thank God that he, he overcomes uh, all the defaults. But the Holy Spirit knows how to take his word and apply it to the lives of those who hear it. That includes the lost. And here's what I mean by that. The Holy Spirit knows how to take his word and to wrestle, convict the lost. And then the lost can either respond to that teaching of the Word of God or reject. And we see that the natural default setting of fallen man is to harden his heart against the light of God's Word. John 3, they loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. So friends, as we look at this text, first of all, I want you to note as we introduce this introduction, if you will, an introduction to the parables. Next week, we will work out more fully the parable of the souls. We see number one, I want you to note the preaching of the parables here in verse three. On the same day, Jesus went out of the house and he sat by the sea. And the great multitudes were gathered together to him so that he got into the boat and sat and the whole multitude stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them in parables. The first thing I want us to observe here in this text is that the change that Jesus makes is not a pragmatic change. It's not a change that he makes like many people preaching today make out of pragmatism, which means we abandon truth or the means of grace so that we make people happy. Pragmatism, of course, is the end justifies the means, right? We can excuse the process as long as the result just somehow is whatever that result is desired. Well, we need to understand that Jesus is not making a pragmatic change. He's not desperate here. And verse 13 tells us that their eyes, they have closed. They're not responding to his messages. But notice verse 2 reminds us that he begins to preach parables to them. But verse 2 says that great multitudes are still gathering here. So Jesus is not making a ministry change as a result of more effective teaching methods. This is not based upon felt needs. Friends, I want to remind all of us here this morning that crowds do not equate faith. Crowds do not equate disciples. We go to ball games, we recognize that, right? Tons of people, maybe more people than we'll ever be around in this earth. It's about 100,000 people in a stadium or something like that. We know this. Crowds do not equate disciples. But sometimes when it comes to religious things, we think in religious ways. And we just assume because there's numbers, this means that, that these are disciples. Friends, that is not the case at all. The size of the crowd is in no way the measure to the true interest of the hearts of the listeners. And when you look at this great crowd and Jesus teaching and preaching, the size of this crowd does not mean that there is hearts full of faith, that true discipleship is taking place. Why, as we see here in verse 2, do the crowds still come? Why are they still coming to hear Jesus? 
Well, there's all types of answers. There's curiosity, of course. They see healings. They see things that no man has ever seen up until this point. It's always interesting. It's never dull. At times, there's a free meal involved. And so they come to Jesus. They want Jesus on their terms. They want to see him based upon their superficial desires. They want to come to him based upon what they can get from him. It's pragmatism. It's utilitarianism. It's coming to him on their terms. They're not coming to Jesus to serve him. They want him to serve them. And this is a key distinction that we see. Turn with me just briefly to John chapter 6, verse 22. John chapter 6, verse 22. And this is a great explanation that kind of is a background text to explain why these crowds are still coming, even though Jesus is exposing hypocrisy. John chapter 6, verse 22 says this, On the following day, when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there, except that one which his disciples had entered, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias near the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into boats and came to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, notice here, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Then he gives them this exhortation. He's saying, you're come to me because of the miracles that I perform, but not for the message that I give. So verse 27, he says, Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. Here we see the effort that they are taking is to find Jesus not because of him and his message, He's saying, you're taking this effort to find me because you want food from me. Listen, there, there's so many lessons here just by, as an aside, lessons for the church, lessons for pastors. The, these individuals could have continued to be given what they wanted, but not what they needed. Jesus has no problem giving bread. He has no problem with giving a lunch. He has no problem with mercy ministry. No problem at all. What Jesus is opposed to, though, is the continuing of pragmatism for the comforting of idolatry, ministry idolatry, and yet neglecting the gospel, neglecting souls, neglecting reconciling men to God. Many churches today, many pastors today, the goal is the crowd. And if the crowds are larger, we must be doing something right. And friends, the only thing we know we're doing right is our consistency to God's truth and God's word. Numbers do not validate and numbers do not take away. Grace Church in its future may grow to a size larger than this building. That is only comforting in that we're consistent to God's truth. And assumptions, wrong assumptions don't need to be made. Or, God forbid, Grace Church could dwindle down to five people. And yes, there could be some reasons for that that are obvious, 
uh, that are easily explained. Or it could be that as time goes on, people leave the faith, quote-unquote. They will not respond to sound teaching or preaching. The point I'm trying to make is not to dwell upon the number side of it, but numbers do not validate the truth is what I'm trying to say. There, there are handfuls of congregations all around the world this morning who are celebrating Christ and his truth, and there's just two or three. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. So that, that, that's the point. Jesus changes his teaching and his preaching. His ministry focus out of not only, of course, this is the Father's will, but he changes to parables because it's, in a sense, a form of, of judgment. They have already rejected the Word of God. Now he is changing so that they cannot understand the Word of God. Only those who are spiritual, only the disciples will be able to understand, only those who believe. And yet there is mercy and even that. As you think about men like Nicodemus and others who are on the fringes, others who are in the area, the scriptures later tell us that they, they come to faith in Christ. So we see even mercy in the midst of this, this overall judgment and the blindness that is placed upon those that are hearing him there that day. Now this is the first mention here as we think about point number one, Jesus is preaching the parables. This is the first mention of parables in the book of the Bible. What is a parable? We, we use this word a lot and we assume that everyone knows uh, what it means. But the word parable means to throw or to place alongside. And so the idea is, is that Jesus is telling a story for the purpose of the truth. He's giving the truth in a pictorial form. A parable is a story that is put alongside a biblical truth or principle for the purpose of shedding light upon or illustrating that truth that Jesus is trying to communicate or to teach. In the uh, in the first century world, in the Jewish world, the use of parables was common, a common method of teaching that was used. And here we see that Jesus is using it in his ministry. One commentator says a parable is an earthly story with a kingdom or a heavenly meaning. Now, as we look into Matthew chapter 13, there are eight parables before us that we will be studying consecutively one at a time in the coming weeks. And what we need to know as we study these parables is that these parables teach us how the kingdom is received and, it, and how it grows and the value to those who find it. The purpose of these parables is they teach us how the kingdom is received, how it grows, and its value to those who find it. In these stories, Jesus helps us to understand that the kingdom of God, what is it? How is it to be received? And its value, we could take off the low-hanging fruit, the parable of the man who, the parable of the pearl of great price. He finds a pearl or treasure hidden in a field. The field on the surface level doesn't look like anything. In fact, everything would tell you to not buy this property. It's a, it's a pit. It's a money drain. And yet this man is invest, or looking and inspecting a potential purchase, and he finds a treasure of an estimable worth and value. And he goes against the grain. That's what we're talking about. This is the kingdom of God. It is a treasure. It is a valuable value of inestimable worth. And it may seem odd or strange to your family or your friends when you're converted and you come into faith in Christ. But the point is not their response. The point is the value of the gospel, the value of your soul and its worth. And to follow Christ even if there's no tangible blessing in the here and now. And friends, there are tons of tangible blessings in following Christ 
in the here and now. So the preaching of the parables. This is a, a line of demarcation in Matthew's gospel. and all the gospels, the four gospels put together, there are over 40 parables that Jesus will teach. So it will be an exciting journey as we turn the page and move into these parables. Secondly, the privilege of the parables we note. Verses 10 through 11. Notice here the privilege. And the disciples came to Jesus and they said to him, Why do you speak to these people? Why do you speak to them in parables? Verse 11, And he answered and said to them, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. Here Jesus is blunt. He gets right to the point. He says that Jesus explains the parables are designed to reveal truth to those who have received him. Jesus says the parables are designed for comprehension to those who are in Christ, those who've been regenerated, and those who believe the message of Christ. And at the same time, they're designed to hide the truth from those who have already rejected him. I want to say that again. The parables are designed to reveal truth to those who are already disciples of Christ, who have received him in simple faith. And simultaneously, they are designed to shield, to hide truth from those who have already hardened their heart against God. Only those who receive Christ will be given the capacity to understand the great truths of the parables. Maybe we could determine this as spiritual discernment. Spiritual discernment. In fact, as we think about spiritual discernment, that is something that is lacking in today, in this day and age, isn't it? One commentator said that spiritual discernment in just a everyday language is, is sanctified common sense, but yet it is given by the Holy Spirit. And maybe what is so easy for a disciple to see, for a Christian to see, what a child of God to see, it's so clear to someone sitting right next to them, it is so unclear. They do not understand. They, they do not get because they do not have faith. They've not been born again. Spiritual discernment is the ability to grasp, to hold on to the truth, to get the truth. And friends, the more we understand the truth, the more we grasp the truth, the more we love the truth. The more we can know God, the more powerful we can live and grow in the gospel. The practicality of it is, is we can interpret reality all around us. The more we love and embrace the truth, that truth extends to being able to understand the world we live in. And unless you don't understand what I'm saying is, is look all around you. And people do not have the spiritual discernment to see the world they're living in. There is blindness. There is deception. There is following after glitter, thinking it's gold. And yet as we embrace the gospel... Embrace the truth. Romans 12, 1, as our minds, as disciples of Christ, are renewed day by day, transformed by the Word of God. We are not conformed to this world's mold. The sphere being pushed through a keyhole. The world wants to make us bow, make us conform into its image. But the disciple of Christ has embraced the truth, been transformed by the truth. And the disciple of Christ is being transformed not into the image of this world, but into the mind of Christ. And this is what Jesus is saying to his disciples. This is our purposes for us, this age of the church, this age of grace, even today. 
the preaching of the parables, number one. Number two, the privilege of the parables. Notice with me, number three, the prohibiting of the parables. Just very succinctly, verse 11, but to them it has not been given. Why has it not been given to them? Well, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. We'll look at two cross-references to, to, to help us to have insight here. But we need to remind all of us that our default spiritual setting, we are born lost. We are born dead. We are born not recognizing, understanding the things of God. And so our natural default setting is to look upon the things of God, spiritual things, as foolishness. Things to laugh at. Things that are of no value to us. And because of that natural default setting, there's a hardening that comes in the rejection, 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 where God rejects. For example, just a quick aside, in the Old Testament we see the example of Pharaoh who says, I will not. Ten times, I will not. I will not. And then ten times we hear God says, I will harden his heart. I will harden his heart. I will harden his heart for my glory, for my glory. Well, here, 1 Corinthians 2, 14, notice we, the natural man, Paul says, the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. Why? Because they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. You can't flip a switch we could bring Plato here this morning. We could bring Socrates. We could bring Aristotle. Aristotle. We could bring Jordan Peterson. We could bring philosophers and, 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 and those who are wise and understand thoughts that are beyond our understanding, but yet they can be blind in their trespasses and sins, and the simplest in the kingdom of God can understand the truth. Why? Because the natural man does not receive the things of God. They are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, just briefly, 2 Corinthians 4. In this epistle Paul says this and he's talking about the ministry of the gospel in fact this is not his main thrust this is just an aside but in 2nd Corinthians chapter 4 notice with me verse 2 Paul says we have renounced the hidden things of shame not walking in craftiness not handling the word of God deceitfully but by manifestation of the truth commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. So what Paul is describing is the gospel ministry, preaching the truth, giving the truth of Scripture, the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, speaking to the consciences of men. But then he says this, he says, we, by manifestation of the truth to every man's conscience in the sight of God, verse 3, but even if our gospel is veiled or hidden, it is veiled to those who are perishing. What does that mean, Paul? Verse 4, Whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So Paul then goes on to say, We don't have any place in our ministry for carnal ministry or man-centered ministry, because that brings no change. All man-centered ministry does is bring 
more disciples for hell. Twofold children of hell, if you will, by bringing them to men who cannot save, personalities who cannot save or equip in grace or give grace. Paul says we do none of those things. We give them Christ. We preach the gospel, the beautiful treasure of the gospel. So these passages give insight into verse 11, going back to Matthew chapter 13, but to them it has not been given. The unbeliever is blind to the truth. He cannot see, he cannot understand that which is right before his eyes, just like they could not see that Jesus was God. Oftentimes we think, man, you know, if people could just hear this messenger, if they could just hear this gifted preacher, my nephew would be saved. If, if we could just get him to them, well, listen, they had Jesus, and they rejected the message of Christ. Friends, sometimes we can think in foolish ways, but we need to remember, we need to understand that a heart that is bent on rejecting light, rejecting the gospel, nothing but the Spirit of God can change. Chapter 13, verse 12, For whoever has, to him more will be given, and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have even what he has will be taken away from him. Here's what Jesus is saying. To hear, to be in the sphere and in the presence of truth, but to, re- excuse me, to, to hear but not receive is to reject, is what he's saying. To have the privilege of being exposed to the truth and yet not receive it with a heart full of faith is in a sense to reject the truth. Friends, don't do that this morning or any time you come before the teaching of God's Word. Come before the teaching and preaching of God's Word and say, God, help me to understand. Help me to obey. Help me to grow softer, not hardened. Father, help me to have a heart that desires to obey and receive with gladness the truth of Scripture. Number four, we see the prophecy that is fulfilled Uh, because of this parable or the preaching of the parables. Notice with me verses 14 and 15. Notice Jesus makes reference to the fulfillment of prophecy here. He says, And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing. And their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their hearts, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. They are deluded by the fact that they feel like, well, I'm just not going to accept that right now. I reject that. But maybe some other day, like King Felix and King Agrippa, when Paul preached the gospel to them, and they said, maybe some other day when I feel like it. You know, so often we're driven by feeling in our natural sense in the realm of the flesh. Our feelings uh, determine and dictate what we do. I just don't feel like it. And many come before the gospel and come before the word of God, and they do not respond because they don't feel like it all the way. They don't feel like it all the way to judgment, to their eternal damnation, because they don't feel like it. And ultimately, what we see here in this prophecy is that they are judicially hardened. Verse 15, the hearts of this people have grown dull, lest they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. And what is happening to these Jewish leaders is that they are reaching a point of no return. You cannot be exposed to the privilege of Christ and reject him and there not be consequences. You cannot say some more convenient day. 
You cannot be indifferent to Christ. And friends, even here this morning through the preaching of the gospel, you cannot be indifferent to Christ and say, meh, maybe some other time. This will be a charge brought against you in the day of judgment that you heard the truth and your judgment will be more severe and more swift even than those who've never heard the preaching of the gospel and that you have heard it and you left it and abandoned it and forsook it. In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9, Jesus draws his explanation for the use of parables from another prophecy of Isaiah. He says this, he says, Go and tell this people, keep on hearing but do not understand. Keep on seeing but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and shut their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return and be healed. Listen, the gospel message Wisdom, Proverbs chapter 10 tells us, uh, Proverbs chapter 1, calls aloud outside. She raises her voice in the open squares in the streets. The gospel goes forth, and yet many fools, the book of Proverbs says, turn aside and hate the knowledge of God. It's key that we understand here in this passage that Israel is rejecting her king and his kingdom. Proverbs 29.1, he, he who is often rebuked and hardens his neck will suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. The unbeliever comes before the light of God's word, the light of God's truth, instruction and rebuke, and just thinks it'll happen again and again and again. But, but the scriptures are clear that the day will come, or judgment comes suddenly. Noah was a preacher of righteousness for 120 years, preached the message that God had given to him a preacher of righteousness, it was laughed at. It was scoffed at. But then the day came where judgment came swiftly and suddenly. And for Israel, that nation, it's here. Again, God is bringing his truth to bear through his son, and they are scorning it. They are rejecting it. The day will come where they make a choice between Jesus and Barabbas, and they choose Barabbas. And they send him to the cross. Lastly, number five, we see the privilege of the parables in verse 16. Jesus here is making very clear that it is a privilege to hear the truth, to know the truth, and to understand the truth. The privilege, verse 16, but blessed, he says to his disciples who asked him this question, they're saying, why are you teaching in parables? He tells them, but blessed are your eyes for they see, and blessed are your ears for they see here. Friends, those who love the truth and have a heart that understands God's word, a heart that treasures his gospel, enjoy the blessings of the gospel. These are those, we are those who are the most blessed of all men. And Jesus would tell you this morning that if you love his truth, if you love him and understand his word and desire to obey his word, Jesus would say to you, blessed are your eyes. And blessed are your ears, for your eyes see, and your ears hear, and your heart desires to obey. Listen, all glory be to Christ, because he's the one who's given us a heart, a new heart, Ezekiel 36, a heart that desires to love him, to obey him, to be faithful to him. Verse 17, for assuredly I say to you that many prophets and many righteous men desire to see what you see, and they did not see it. And to hear what you hear and did not hear it. You know, in the physical realm, can we just be honest? 
you study Western civilization, you go back to ancient civilization, you talk about the, the Dark Ages, you just go to different times, epics in history. We live better today than the richest, the kings of yesteryear could ever imagine and ever dream. Our beds are softer than anything they could ever touch. They would just, if they lay down on our bed, they would slap us and say, this is unrighteous. How can you have such a, a world of ease, you know? The food that you and I eat in one meal is better than many ever had in a whole lifetime. The knowledge that you and I have in one day is beyond what many, I remember a number of years reading a book that said one edition of the New York Times, a daily edition of the New York Times in some periods of history was more information that a, than a man could know in his whole lifetime. Availed, availed to him, given to him. I don't know if that's true or not, but it sounds, wow, you know. All of that's whatever, but here's the point. Jesus says, prophets had longed for what you are receiving today. I don't mean like in this hour, but I mean what we are exposed to week after week in the life of the church, in the realm of the family of God, our understanding, the full understanding of the program of God, the unfolding drama of redemption, understanding the full completion of the work of Christ, what was given as a foretaste in the Old Testament, what was given as a type in the Old Testament, we see in Christ, revealed upon the cross, the promise of His coming. We understand. They have longed for, verse 17, many prophets and righteous men have desired to see what you see. And they weren't able to see it. They've desired to hear what you hear. They didn't hear it. But you see it. And you hear it. And yet we say, whatever. Friends, do not let your heart grow hard. We are blessed to live in this age of grace. To have the scriptures. To have the, the New Testament in which the great mysteries of Christ are revealed. So as we conclude this morning, I want to just nail home for our church. Do not hear Jesus, in this text, do not hear the truth and be flippant to the truth. If it's nothing to you, friends, you should be concerned. If it's nothing in that you do not care to come and hear it, how you handle it when you're here, those types of things, or you avoid it in your own personal life, you may come faithfully to the church, but yet there is no marinating and understanding of the power of the gospel in your own life. Friend, be concerned. Do not hear the truth and be flippant to the truth. Do not have the entrustment of the gospel, 2 Corinthians 4 or 5, and yet be flippant about that stewardship of the gospel. Do not think, well, I'll come again to this later. I heard the message today. I just don't feel like it. There's rain outside. It's kind, of, it's kind of dreary today. I'm just not feeling up to par. So I think that gives me a pass today. You know, it's time change. You know, like I just, things aren't normal. There's a little bit, some differences today. So I just think I'm going to check out from the message or the Sunday school class or just skip my Bible reading today. Do not have a posture that is one that is flippant that says, I'll just do this at some more convenient time. Listen, everything in your life is designed to keep you busy, keep you distracted. That's the reason why we say in our first century, con I mean, our modern context, let's silence our devices. If Peter was here today, he'd be like, what? What are you talking about? We have to tell ourselves things like that because there's pings and dings with this many people. Um, it would happen all throughout. We just have to say everything is, is vying for our attention to distract us and to pull us away from the things of the Lord. Guard your heart. Do not be as this crowd and those who presume upon the message of Christ. Do not assume that you will have another chance, whether it's spiritually or physically. James 4.14, what is your life? James says, 
For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time, and then it vanishes away. Don't presume upon today. Don't presume upon tomorrow. Respond to the Holy Spirit whenever He leads you and prompts you by His truth. In conclusion, Paul says this, 2 Corinthians 6, 2. He says, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Friends, as we close our message this morning, I just want to remind us of the urgency of the truth. Our life physically is transient. There's not one of us that are guaranteed not only to return next week, but we gather again this evening. And there's not one of us, including me, that's guaranteed to be here this evening at 6 p.m. Let me go a little bit further. There's not one of us that's guaranteed to walk out of the doors this morning. Life is but a vapor. So you say, LaGrange, you're being a little, little intense this morning. You're being a little extreme. Listen, hear the word of the Lord. Life is short. Hear Paul when he says, now is the accepted time. Well, no, I'll do it later. No, now is the accepted time. Well, I want to do it maybe at 2 p.m. No, now. What does Paul say? He says, now. No, that, that sounds intense because it is intense. He says, now is the day of salvation. Well, that sounds a little forceful. It is because heaven and hell are at stake. Friends, life is short. And so as we come before these parables, as we come before the word of God, as we hear the message of Christ to his audience, to his disciples, may the Holy Spirit help us to examine our own hearts, to see how do we respond to the truth, to be given forgiveness, grace as we repent of sin and how flippant we handle the things of God at times, to be confirmed or to be convicted. And may the Lord give us grace to repent. May he strengthen his church. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for the word. We thank you for the truth. Father, we love your truth and we're excited to look into these parables. They're unique. They're interesting. They're different. But Father, they are your words. They are truth. And so we pray on the front end that you would give us a heart that is soft a heart that is pliable, a heart that is responsive to the truth of Scripture. Father, we are a blessed people, a privileged people. We are exposed to so much truth that we will be accountable for. And so we need your grace. Would you forgive us? Would you forgive us for our lethargy, our laziness? Father, as a church, would you forgive us for our absent-mindedness, our attitudes that act like these eternal things at times are just not a big deal. Father, help us to see your truth. Help us to love you. Help us to fix our eyes upon you. And we'll trust you for this. In Christ's name, amen.